Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Music Buds podcast. This is episode number nine, and my name is Henry. It is just me this time around, but I am joined by someone incredibly special. I am joined by composer Nathan Johnson, known best for his work with Ryan Johnson, including Knives Out, Looper, Brick, as well as Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Don John, and many others, of course. So, Nathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Yeah, and thank you. Well, I guess just starting off, I am a huge fan of yours. As I said to you over email, my family is obsessed with Knives Out. And the the music very much so is a part of that. And I I just can't tell you how how close I I hold your music. Oh, well, thanks. uh, That means a lot. Thank you. So Brick, the, the Ryan Johnson film, was, was his debut as well as your debut in the, uh, the film composing world. H- how did all that come about? How did that collaboration begin? Yeah, well, Ryan and I are cousins, so we, we oh, kind of okay. grew up. Yeah, we grew up making movies and music together really since the time we were little kids. Um, he, you know, he wrote Brick right after he graduated from film school and spent like six or seven years trying to, you know, trying to get it to be, you know, trying to get it made. Yeah. You know, and, and finally he, he, he had found an amazing producer um, and they, they just figured out the lowest amount of money they could make it for and and still shoot it on film for that. That was like their goal is like, what's the absolute smallest amount we need to shoot this on film and get it made right and then they kind of uh they kind of just passed the hat and friends and family invested and so the result of that was you know we didn't really have a lot of money and when it came time to do the music ryan was in la and i was actually living and working in england at the time and so he he asked me to do the music and you know i i kind of come more from the band world um the songwriting world but we you know we just love working together so much and so i was like yeah you know of course but that kind of meant we didn't have a budget to to do it in a traditional way and on top of that i didn't know what a traditional way to do it was so (laughs) right (laughs) so i ended up basically scoring that movie just with a small group of friends on my laptop with a single microphone and we recorded the whole thing in my apartment. Wow. You know, so instead of a string orchestra, we, we recorded tune wine glasses because they had (laughs) kind of that similar, like long paddy feeling that, that you hear with strings. And instead of, instead of timpani drums, we, we like pounded on the filing cabinet in my hall with mallets. And yeah, so it was very much, um, you know, and then the whole time Ryan was living in LA and he, he edited the whole movie on his computer in his bedroom. Wow. So it was, it was very much in that vein of like, here's something we want to do. Let's not wait around until someone gives us a bunch of money. Let's just figure out how to do it right now. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't have the uh, the knives out orchestra or anything yeah, like that no, for that. Uh, <laughs> although although we were with, uh, we were in England, we were not at Abbey Road for that one. <laughs> so close, so close. Yeah, well, I, I think that's so cool because there are so as technology advances, I think there are so many musicians out there trying to like shock people or impress people with the latest technology 
just because it's there. But like, as you were just saying, you can create an, an amazing score with so few resources and have it still be something that I think people really appreciate even after all this time. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I was talking to um, one of my really good friends about this, Chris Mears, and he was, he, we were actually living together during brick and he played a, a bunch on that and helped out with that score. And we were talking about that thing where sometimes when you have unlimited resources that there's really a, a temptation to kind of just throw everything into the mix, you know, oftentimes with like first albums or f first projects, when there are a real restriction on resources, one of the things that that helps you do is it really focuses the palette that you're working with. And those can be things that really, even years later, when you're, I don't know. Those can be things that really, I think, help focus the voice in in a particular project. So we, I definitely feel thankful about that in terms of what we did on Brick. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's a great point because there are so many blockbusters nowadays that have you know two hundred, three hundred million dollar budgets, and they have everything at their disposal, but they come out kind of lifeless, and they feel like a computer made them. Right, and, right. and so I guess for better or for worse, having those restrictions can, and maybe not every single case, but in a lot of cases, as with you, it can make creativity more stimulating. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I am a big fan of the idea of, uh, of restrictions kind of being one of the key things that, that enables art to, to, to happen in a, an exciting way. Yeah. Jumping ahead a, a little bit with with Looper, so that was a, another Ryan Johnson collaboration, a slightly bigger budget, more of a that was more of a like action blockbuster feel. Even though the the budget was still fairly small, all considering, right? And that that score, as I think with with many of your works, it has this like sound designy kind of textural feel. One thing that you seem to incorporate every time, either naturally or or actively is it feels kind of tactile. Like, I feel like I could touch, listen, listening to it all the way through, I feel like I, I can kind of touch it almost. Oh, that's really fun to hear. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that uh, maybe comes from sort of my background and the way that I stumbled into this. I, you know, I was... I was making records with, like I said earlier, from a, you know, bands and garages and just whatever we had around using that to make the music. And so a lot of composers sort of start in the sample world. You know, it's like, oh, I, I can have a whole orchestra for, you know, for a couple hundred dollars in samples. And I remember even when we, when we were doing brick, I remember Ryan was telling me when they were mixing it, the engineer was like, it sounds like these are real instruments. <laughs> right. I was like, what do you, yeah. Yeah. What do you mean? Of course they're real instruments. He's like, Oh, most, most like movies at this budget level, the scores are all done with samples, you know, because you can kind of like get close to a big blockbuster sound, but, but that just wasn't my background. So I think, you know, even as I've like kind of figured out how to work with, with those tools, I still really, really love part of, I guess part of what it is is I love imperfection. Mm. And so there's something about real instruments or real sounds being recorded. And, and with looper, you know, you were asking about that, 
when I first talked to Ryan about Looper, he was saying like, what if we, what if for this score, like, what if we like just go into a, a warehouse and push TVs off the roof and record the sound of them shattering. And, you know, I like immediately knew like, oh, okay, he's imagining something like super different for this. So yeah. Yeah. So we, we kind of like leaned into that found sound field recordings type of approach. And, mm-hmm. and I love it because they're not sterile sounds. It's, you know, I, I moved down to new Orleans while they were shooting I just took a field recorder all around the city and I was recording industrial fans and, and the treadmill in our Mm. our hotel. (laughs) Then those were the, those were the recordings that ended up being stretched and tuned and turned into the score. It it sounds cheesy to say, but like you just never know until you try, you know, you you never know what you're going to find. And I think that's amazing. Totally. And I think that's actually, I mean, I feel like I can, t- I just love talking about this stuff that no, please. Yeah. The point you bring up there is actually a key part of my process, especially in looper. Like, it's not like I have an idea. I want this sound and then I go try to find it. It's very much just going out and gathering a lot of stuff. And, and then in a way, I mean, I always kind of talk about looper as my process on that movie felt like I was in a a dark cave Hmm. stumbling around and I had found like a rope and I was just following that rope, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and so when you, when you go out and do field recordings, you, you, you kind of don't ever know until you, until you, start listening and finding something and maybe get back to the studio and start cutting things up. But that, that really can end up if you, if you're up for the journey that ends up influencing it and, and you end up writing something you never would have written Mm. when you're, when you're using the sound of a treadmill as your writing (laughs) instrument. Yeah. Like you, there's no way to sit down at a piano or a guitar and write the type of thing that you would write if you started working with those sounds. Yeah. I don't know if that's something that is the, the typical school lesson. It's like, you know, using a treadmill. So I think that's just like those cool, unexpected, unconventional methods that, that make it work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and make it fun, you know, and that, becomes for me in the in the discovering of it it well that, that's what it is it becomes a discovery rather than a perfect thing i imagine in my mind and then execute uh, yeah and i think and, and it, i guess that speaks to why you and ryan work so well is because his films feel like they're lived in and they feel like they have an age to them for yeah. lack of a better word and and i think you know of course your music has a, lo- a lot to do with that so i think that such an interesting collaboration yeah, it's it's uh it's it's always very interesting and always really fun to see. I mean, I <laughs> you know when Ryan sends me a new script, it feels like Christmas morning. Like I just oh, can't. Sure. I can't wait to see what this next world is. That that not only that I'm that I'm going to get to you know jump into and contribute to, but that I'm going to get to to observe. It. Mm-hmm. Like I you know I. I'm as much a fan as, as a contributor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One, one thing, uh, and we can continue on Ryan Johnson in a, in a bit. I wanted to touch on Don John as yeah. well. 
which Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he had been in Looper and, and Brick, but he ended up directing this one as well as starring as the lead. This score, and, and I remember it from the first time I saw it in the theater, that your music just struck me and it felt in the coolest way. It felt like I couldn't believe that this variety and this level of music was in a, I guess from a, a glance is a typical sex comedy, even though that's not, that's not it. And if I can fanboy for a second, you, the, the track Lost Together, which is kind of like the ending track on the album, I have had that track on this playlist. I think ever since the movie came out, I listened to it so much. And it's one of the most beautiful, peaceful tracks I think I've ever heard. And I can't ever, I can't go too long without listening to that track. Not only that, but with this, this movie, with it being unexpected, it, it feels like the, the music is almost interwoven into how it's put together because it goes from these very over the top, like nightclub, like bumping tracks to, uh, as I was just saying, very quiet, you know, acoustic guitars, electric guitars. Is that variety something you think about? Or again, is that more just kind of how your mind works? So, well, first of all, thank you. And it's, it's really, yeah, it's really meaningful, like to hear you kind of as an observer, kind of pick all that up, that, that variety, um, came directly from Joe. Mm. Um, and when we were talking about it early on, he, he had a very clear, exciting approach to the music. And he, you know, Joe is, he's a fantastic actor clearly, but he's a, he's also a fantastic writer and director and he's a great musician as well. So mm. he, he, when we first started talking about this, he, he very clearly wanted to have the music happen in three totally different realms. So he, you know, it was almost like he viewed the first act as being this, this deep club music. And then as his character meets Scarlett Johansson's character and this romance blooms, he wanted that to, to kind of like shift into this throwback old Hollywood lush mm-hmm. string approach. <laughs> Yeah. And as, as his character kind of develops his relationship with Julianne Moore's character, he wanted to strip everything back and have it be just like this raw exposed guitar. And that was something, you know, just like that he, he had thought up before, before even talking to me about it. But then the other elements of that, and this was a really unique thing about doing Don John, is because Joe is such a musician and he's so rhythmic and he, he's like a drummer. So he said to me, he was like, listen, I want to cut to your music. And so we did this, we did this like very fun back and forth thing where they would like do a rough cut of the scene and I would write to it, but then he would go back and he would be like, you know, like I'm going to come back in and I want to edit to what you're creating. So hmm. it, when you were saying like, it feels like it's interwoven, like it, it very much was like in actual process. And I was, I was composing the score out of his home studio. So we were just like, hmm. just really, really tightly working together through, through that entire process. I think it's just, it's collaborations like that, that it, it just, it just creates such great art clearly, but oh, it's, it's like the best. I mean, it's, you know, and I say this about Ryan, but it, about Joe as well, like the, what makes 
what makes a good collaboration is not somebody saying like, okay, you're the music guy, do whatever you want, I guess. It's, it's a really special thing where when a director has a very clear idea of what they want, that to me feels like with, with both Ryan and Joe, that feels like they're kind of creating this playground. They're, they're like setting up the boundaries. But then once the boundaries are set up, they both are, are not micromanaging. It's like, okay, here's, here, uh, this is what I know I want. And now we've got this playground established. Now I want, I'm so excited to see what you're going to bring to that, what you're going to contribute to that. And, and with both of them, it is just a pleasure to, to have people who very clearly know what they want in the big picture, but then are, are looking to you to, to color that in, in the details. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm maybe answered my own question here, but does the uh, cutting to your music, does that happen often? Like, <laughs> no, not really. No, it's, um, you know, that, that was, it, that was something that, that felt really new to me working, working with Joe. And I know some directors, that's completely how they work. I, from, from what I understand, they, mm -hmm. they, you know, some composers will deliver finished pieces of music. And then the directors kind of almost like work with a music editor to cut that together. But in terms of working with Ryan, it like the stuff that I write is very much written to the scene and composed to the scene. And, and that was also true with Joe, except that then he kind of went back with a fine pass and, and recut stuff and tweaked it so that, gotcha. you know, because he was like, listen, I don't, if we're in a groove, I don't want you to have to like break the groove to hit this edit point. So right. here's the general idea, but then we can, we can tweak that. Bouncing off that in the, this movie, uh, even dissimilar from some of your other works, a lot of the tracks, they're all like almost under a minute, some of them under 30 seconds, yep. which it, it almost in, a, in the, a really interesting way, it feels like they're almost music cues. Like they evoke a scene, like the feeling of a scene or a, or even a genre, because that movie is parroting all these different movies as well as kind of enjoying them and, and indulging them in a way. Did that feel weird making them so short? Or was it like when you were given that responsibility of like, here, I'm going to cut the movie to your music. Was that just more fun? Yeah. I mean, the thing about that is it's like basically understanding how the music is going to work in Joe's world that he's creating for this movie. So, you know, the structure, this, this great element of structure where for, for structure to be good, like a human body, we don't, we don't want to see it. Right. You, mm -hmm. you like don't see, you don't see the skeleton. If you see the skeleton, something's wrong. However, something's like wrong. <laughs> under the surface, there's definitely a skeleton. And, and Joe is really, one of the things he was super clear about in Don John was this, this structure of repetitions. And what that allowed us to do is basically like I wrote these, these themes, but then we, reinterpreted them in in different ways for for the three different palettes that we were working with and and part of that had to do with you know early on joe was like there's not going to be a lot of music in in this movie like i i i want it to play a very specific role and it's doing a very specific thing each time yeah in, in that movie and 
not to repeat myself like you and or as as you were just saying the repetition the in, intentional repetition which goes along with your score is like you're almost like when they they get back into the nightclub and he's dancing with an, an another girl you know immediately what he's doing and you're like oh my god please don't do that again but it's like it's it works i mean in terms of the movie it's so effective you know but you're like you know instantly what it's going to be you know it's going to be okay he's he's in a nightclub or he's you know uh, or the the scenes at the night school or he's going on a date one thing i love about your music and i think it's in every single film but in this one when he goes when he's leaving the movie theater with scarlett johansson your music like it, it evokes a and it sounds obvious it evokes what the character is feeling in their mind mm. because of course, if he got to go on a date with this, this girl, of course he's going to be through the roof. It's going to feel like a romantic comedy. So your music really tr- helps translate along with, of course, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's direction translates that just internal monologue so well. Thanks. Yeah. And, and that's like, you know, I think that's something that we all feel familiar with because, or at least those of us who love movies and who grew up with movies, you know, we, when we are living our, our lives, it's, it's often really easy to, uh, you know, to kind of like view the events of our lives in tandem to movies that have been meaningful. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, I love that feeling of that was just such a fun part of the, uh, the the middle part of that movie to get to, to kind of do this evocative old old hollywood to kind of like touch that um a little yeah. bit there yeah really really enjoyable how how about well even before you got started were there what were some films or uh directors and and composers as well that you you either grew up with or that you were fans of even before you started yeah. doing the movies I- yeah exactly i mean i i think you know the obvious one that that ryan and i both grew up with was john williams you know and that it it feels like he basically scored our childhoods you know (laughs) i remember we uh (laughs) we we would we would always make movies together that we have a, a large family with tons of cousins and we would when we were kids we would always get together for summer vacations and make movies and and we would it was kind of the thing where where you have like the camcorder and and the vcr and you're editing you've got like a cd like a discman like plugged into the left channel audio and and then the audio from the camera plugged into the right one and everyone's like syncing it up that was like how we would edit but we we didn't really have a bunch of film music we just had john williams hook cd (laughs) like that was like that was like the CD that we used to score all of all of our family the, movies. The home base, the home base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With like John Williams, it's just. I mean, I mean, there of course there are a lot of great composers out there, but what you're just saying about like you grew up with his music. Getting older, like oh my god, like someone like it's amazing to think about the impact that someone like that can have, and yeah. you you don't think about it until until years later. Yeah. Uh, but I love, I mean, I love, I really love like these melodic composers like Morricone and I would love Bernard Herrmann. I feel like mm-hmm. we were kind of like referencing, you know, we owe a debt to him for the Knives Out score. Oh, and, yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, John Bryan, uh, you know, uh, his early stuff with P.T. Anderson, like that, that great melodic stuff. I just... 
I love, I love melody, which is, which is weird for Looper, you know, because Looper yeah. was largely non-melodic score. And, you know, we knew that going in, like right at, at the beginning, Ryan was also saying like, what if, what if it's just one, one chord through the whole score? And I was like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, definitely. How often, one thing I'm always curious about with, with composers, how often do you see the first cut of the movie before music is made or, or what, what's the process like of like, okay, I'm on this project. They're making the movie. Do you often make movie before seeing anything or is it always afterwards? You know, with a filmmaker that I have a a good relationship with and a a long established relationship with, I'm usually on board before they've even started shooting, you know? So, so I'm, you know, for instance, with, with Ryan's stuff, even with Joe's stuff, I'm, I'm going to set, I'm on set while they're, while they're filming. For me, that's just such a great time to be, to begin soaking in the world and beginning to explore themes. Yeah. Um, so that, that tends to be my process is I'm, I'm not, I'm not like composing the the actual cues for the movie before the before I've seen a cut, but I'm definitely writing themes. I'm mm-hmm. I'm say I'm exploring a, a theme for a certain character or kind of coming up with like what is this world going to sound like, um, and then I you know I'll see the first cut of the movie either without music or with sometimes with temp music that that the editors have laid in. And then it sort of starts the process of like, okay, here's the themes that the directors have become familiar with. We, we know what these themes mean. And then it's about taking those themes and actually scoring the scenes and kind of adapting those motifs throughout the movie. I remember in the past, uh, uh, you've discussed like not wanting to, I, I guess, take the... <laughs> for lack of a better term, like take the spotlight away from the actor or, or I guess from the, the, the scene that you're, that you're watching and like go in and out, like find the gaps in a way. Is that something that you, you always try and do? Is that times where that hasn't been the case? Kind of, it kind of really depends on what each scene is calling for, but, but that's like, what's so great about working in, in film is that it's all these different artists working together to create a cohesive thing and the defining you know the compass through that needs to be the story yeah. right so it's so so the different elements and in, in terms of you know acting or or music or editing like the, the all of those elements may take different times in the spotlight but the north star always has to be is this helping us tell the story Right, and so if your goal is telling the story, that as a result of that, this means it's it's not a time for you to just to write your opus. What you're what you're doing is not trying to trying to write the most intense or most interesting movie. Your tr- music, sorry, all you're trying to do is write the music that is the most telling the story. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. That speaks so much because uh, as, you know, a uh, cliched as it is to say, I think just the more of a team player that you are on a film, because there are so many moving pieces, so many people involved who have this say, who have that say, 
the more you just help the overall product, the better it's going to be because if everybody's doing their own thing, has their own ego to fill, it's going to be unfocused. It's going to be a mess. Something that you're, you're clearly aware of as well as Ryan Johnson. Yeah, he's, he's so good at that. He's, you know, and he's such a good collaborator with all the, I mean, people, people who work on Ryan movies love working with Ryan. I think the reason for that is that he, he, you, you just really trust him that he, uh, when he says something doesn't fit musically, it's, it's not because he's, he's being petty or because he doesn't like you. It's because it doesn't fit for what he is trying to do with the story. Mm-hmm. And that becomes, that becomes really easy if that's our North star. And, and he, by definition, as the writer and the director, he's shepherding that, that North star, you know, then I feel like what my job is, is like just to get inside of his head and how do I, how do I use whatever tools I have to help him tell the story that he wants to tell? Even though John Williams ended up doing The Last Jedi, which Ryan directed, that still feels like even disregarding what we were saying about a big budget and having so many options, that still feels like his movie. And I think that's so rare. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it feels that way to me too. Like when I watch that, that feels like a Ryan movie. And, and even when when he talks about it, it's, it's not like he stepped into this other thing mm-hmm. and did someone else's work for a while. You know, it's, I, th- I think, I think he needs to believe in something and, and needs to tell a story that's meaningful f- for him. I don't think he would jump into doing something uh, if, if there wasn't that fire and excitement and resonance about the story that he wanted to tell. Right. Getting back to to your music more specifically, one thing, and it's very much the case with Don John and and Knives Out, of course, which we can get to. There, you know, there are some film, some composers out there. Not to say that it's necessarily a bad thing, but they have one sound, and that's their style. I'm like, oh, that's that composer, this composer. But with you, through talent, you just you found a way to create an identity for yourself. But it's it's through variation. It's not like it's one sound. And so the variation is what feels like Nathan Johnson in the, in the, in the best way. It's like you're able to incorporate so many different elements going from like in Knives Out, it's very playful and it can be very haunting. It can be comedic. Like you can be in a jazz club or something to like, it's a Gothic drama, whether that's, that's active or natural. There's just such an interesting variety, but it's consistent. Oh, well, thank you so much. I, um, yeah, it's just as you're talking about that, I'm just kind of thinking back. I mean, I think, I think there, there's an element, there, there's a thing that happens with, with, you know, with creative people or whenever you make something, I, I think an, an audience sees that and likes it. And then they say, Oh, come do that again over here. Right. You know, and that, and that happens, you know, after, after I do the music for a movie, other movies that are similar are like, Oh, can you do that on our movie? And Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know that that feels as creative or as exciting to, to do a repetition, Mm -hmm. but also to be honest, I, I'm, I'm not really 
I don't choose movies based on what music it will let me do. I, hmm. I choose movies based on if I love the movie. Right. I don't know. It's a funny, it was, I, I, I guess I'm like slightly aware that maybe this is like a weird way to come at it, but, but I think it, it's really important for me The you know, when I first read a script or when I f- see uh, a, a rough cut, I'm not thinking about the music I'm thinking about as like, as a fan of movies, I'm thinking about, am I into this? Do, right. Would I want this movie? Am I excited about this? But I think get, getting back to your, you know, the thing that you mentioned about variety, I think the, the other element of that is that by working a lot specifically with Ryan, he, he jumps genres, you know, he keeps doing different things in different genres and he's really excited about trying out different unexpected things every, every time out, you know, and he's, he's obviously the, the director that I've worked most with. So I, I have to think that part of your observation has to do with the fact that I'm excitedly diving into all these different worlds, both with Ryan and with other directors. And that ends up being really fun to get to kind of play in all of those different sandboxes. Well, I, I guess we can touch on, on Knives Out because that's, you know, the, the big recent one. Ryan had told you about Knives Out, what, like 10 years ago? Yeah. So he, he kind of came up with with the idea for this opening scene ages ago. It's like maybe I don't I don't know how long, maybe eight or ten years ago. And and he told me about it and he was like, it's you know, he described the opening of the movie basically. He's saying it's, you know, it's gonna be this musical piece and we're gonna it's like misty out. We're coming up on this mansion. He basically described it exactly exactly as it is. And wow. so I I've been thinking about that you know, the, this idea and I was just hooked and, and, uh, that had been just like bubbling in the back of my mind for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. You, you did get to work with like a, 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 an orchestra for this and it, and as we've touched on it, it's rich with different instruments and, uh, it has that great identity. Was that more daunting in a way, or is that more exciting to be able to change like that? Kind of both. I mean, this was, this was like the most fun I've ever had scoring a movie. Oh, uh, and I just loved, I, I loved having that palette. Um, yeah. You know, kind of deciding what, what the, what the, the, the arrangement, the palette was going to be at the beginning and then getting to play in that world. Yeah. yeah it's funny. I mean, like kind of all the other, all the other stuff that I've done, I, I feel like this actually, in, even though the restriction was like a, a gigantic orchestra at Abbey Road, it, it still was a, a restriction in terms of like setting limits. Like it was mm. like, okay, I'm not, I'm not throwing synths at this. I'm not, you know, what, what this is going to be is the, the, the great, the great restriction is I'm going to use a huge orchestra at Abbey Road. <laughs> that, not the worst thing in the world. So, yeah, it was amazing. And that, that was so much fun to, suddenly you're like, Oh, this is why, this is why composers do this all the time. But it was really, really phenomenal to get to, to get to work with those players. Yeah. Do you like to, after the film is made, do you like to watch the movies with, with your score implemented or does that make you like self-conscious? Yeah. I don't know that it, it makes me self-conscious. I mean, to be honest, I feel sort of invisible. Like I think Mm. 
just feel like the director is who, who people are looking at. I don't know that sure. the people are, are, are really analyzing the music too much. So I feel like I can go into a theater and just kind of anonymously yeah. appreciate what's happening. And, but yeah, I, I, I especially love seeing a movie with an audience, you know, it, it's yeah. some of these times where we've been, been able to go to a test screening and kind of sneak in the back and watch how people respond or, always like the sort of the premiere at a festival is a really fun time because those audiences are just such great audiences and they're excited yeah. and hungry. And so it's like you never see a better showing than oh, I can. I, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really fun. Yeah. Lastly, cause I don't, I don't want to keep you too long, but one, one movie jumping back briefly, uh, kill the messenger with, Jeremy Renner, which is a like a CIA political thriller, talking about the variety a, a little bit. That movie has like even before I had watched it, I had actually listened to the score, and I was there were so many emotions and genres evoked from that. Like at times feels like a western. There are times where it feels again with the internal monologue, it feels very very lonely. But then there are other times where it's he's it feels like a rock star. Yeah. Was that, since that was not a film that, that Ryan directed, uh, similar to, to Don John, was that an interesting departure as much as you love working with Ryan? Yeah, that was a really special movie. Um, so Michael Cuesta is the, the director uh, of Kill the Messenger. And he, you know, that, that with both with Joe and Ryan, I've known them for years and years, but, but with Michael, you know, I basically met him right as we were starting the movie um, and really liked him and really liked his approach and really loved the script and, and Jeremy Renner's performance. Um, and you're right. It, there's like, I, I feel like that one, uh, you know, on the surface, it's like a thriller, but like all the best thrillers, it's, it's tapping into this internal emotional engine of, mm -hmm. of this guy. And he, he goes through such a journey of loneliness in, in trying to do the right thing. You know, it's based on a real story, mm -hmm. but that was, uh, really opening to me as well, because I didn't know that story. I didn't, yeah. I wasn't aware of, our government's role in, you know, crack coming into, uh, into LA, LA and, and just kind of, there's a lot of pathos in that, in that story. And it was, a, it was, um, yeah, it was really incredible to be a part of that. Yeah. I, I don't have a, a whole lot else for you. I, I mean, are, how are things just going these days? Like with, you know, the pandemic and everything is, uh, how's LA? Yeah, it's, it's, okay. you know, we've been, we've been taking stuff seriously and, um, trying to be really safe. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like the whole industry is trying to figure out how, how it's going to start up again and what that's yeah. going to look like. But it's, it's been, I mean, I, I miss, I miss like people and I miss like yeah. Yeah. being able to interact with the world more, but it's also been a, honestly, it's been like kind of amazing to have this time to be able to work on personal projects. And mm -hmm. my wife is a musician and we've been working on a bunch of, bunch of different personal projects over the past few months. So, you know, there, there's always that thing of like, when you have a job and a deadline, um, someone else is, is sort of dictating that it's been, right. it's 
definitely nice to get to spend time on a few of these things that we've been wanting to work on for a while. Yeah. All right. Well, Nathan, I, I, and it's okay if not, is there anything else you want to mention or, or any, anything else you want to touch on? I just don't want to not catch something. Yeah, I mean, I think I, we, I, we kind of started off talking about this, but I love this quote. Oh man. And I'm forgetting. I think his name is Chase Jarvis. He's a photographer. Um, he says the best camera is the one you have with you. <laughs> and I, I, I feel like that, you know, if anyone's listening or if this can be an encouragement to anyone, I think there's really, there's really something that's, that was helpful to me and something hopefully that can be practically helpful to you. Um, this idea of like, don't wait for, don't wait for the best gear. Mm-hmm. Don't wait for someone to give you permission. Take what you've got right now. Um, yeah. the best camera is the, the one you have with you, um, at this moment. So use, use what you got. And I, I think that, you know, technology is great, but I, but I think technology does not define an idea and and anyone can have an idea anyone can have a a creative impulse and i think the other thing is what 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 we have the chance to do is take that impulse from just being an impulse and to actually put it into the world with whatever we have around us so i'd encourage anyone listening who who is working or who wants to be working on some creative thing to uh to go for it yeah i i I think that that's so powerful because going back to the the very beginning brick if that if that hadn't been the thought process you know you might not be here brick not might not be here if you had waited and waited and waited to get the perfect gear it would not be the same movie for one thing and i I don't think and that's not a good thing you know having it what it is is so great and and you know i could go spend a hundred thousand dollars on equipment but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be better it may make it more polished but in a lot of ways, that's not as interesting all the yeah. time. I think, I think done is better than perfect. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there are so many things that are becoming more and more perfect, but they're becoming more and more... There's no personal touch anymore. Well, okay. Well, Nathan, as I've said before, I, I cherish your work. Uh, Knives Out and really all of these movies you've worked on are incredible and Thank you so much for taking the time. It was so interesting getting to talk with you. And yeah, I, I can't, can't thank you enough. My pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Of course. I guess that about does it. And if you enjoyed this interview, please go to patreon.com slash the buds for just five bucks a month. You can make more interviews like this happen. And we'll see you next time.